0: It is 7 Figures, all the information that you need to dominate your finances. I'm Sandy Waters. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your busy, busy day to listen to the podcast. And a big thank you to our friends at Family First Credit Union for supporting the 7 Figures podcast and supporting financial education. Earning and learning go hand in hand, and Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. Okay, so knowing what you know now, If you could turn back the clock, what advice would you give yourself the day you walk down the aisle? Okay. I know a lot of you may be shouting, don't do it, (laughs) don't go through with it. It's not going to end well. And yeah, sometimes, you know, you think the marriage is going to be awesome. You have hopes and dreams about the perfect life, but yet, no matter how hard you try, Sometimes divorce is inevitable and you have to deal with it. Financially, how can you protect yourself? We cash in with our expert, BJ Mann, who is a divorce mediator, author of the book, A Better, Not Bitter Divorce, The Fair and Affordable Way to End a Marriage. She's not an attorney or financial planner or an accountant, but she has years under her belt. So she's going to give us some information and advice today. BJ, thank you for joining the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Divorce mediation. Initially, this wasn't even on your radar, was it? You didn't come out of college doing this.
1: No, I worked for 30 years for uh, Rochester Telephone and then Frontier. And I retired as a Global Crossing um, employee. I was an executive there for 30 years. It was when my own marriage ended about 23 years ago that I just knew that there had to be a gentler way to cross this bridge. Um, I was a real puddle on the floor, and mine was one of those marriages that ended pretty suddenly. And um, I knew that there was a label called divorce mediation or divorce mediator, uh, a field that was just getting some legs in Rochester, uh, thanks to some real trailblazers in the community. I still had eight more years to work at the phone company because I wanted to leave with uh, 30 years and a pension. So along the way, I began to really explore this mm-hmm. and also recover from my own uh, difficult um, transition. But I found my resiliency and I found my life's passion and i've been doing this now for 17 years how long were you married i was married for 25 years 25 and i 25 years yes oh that yes. is
0: devastating
1: well it was but it was absolutely the right decision i just didn't know it at the time and my kids are terrific uh, my former husband and i are very very good friends um we share all the celebrations of our children and sometimes just uh his wife and my husband we go out to dinner do together we really? truly it is the vision that i hold for my clients oh, wow. because i know it can be a reality and actually that's what i want to do for folks i want to cross them over this bridge yeah. into a uh, new independence and autonomy that is better not bitter which happens to be the name of the book that I just published. Yes.
0: What are the key things, the things that most people don't realize or they don't think of when you're talking about finances specifically?
1: Right. The financial part is uh, 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 the practical details. And again, with mediation, I hold both the emotional and the practical. The number one image that folks need to understand is that they really have one tablecloth. And now it has to stretch over two tables. And it's hard. You make one gross income, maybe it's a $100,000, both of you work, and that $100,000 has to stretch over two tables unless somebody's somehow going to add more tablecloth to yeah. the um, the linen there. But typically, people are already working two jobs or one job, whatever it is. And they're accustomed that, to that lifestyle exactly and that income. And they need to figure out how they're going to make that work. And by and large, there's some belt tightening. And both people in my office are scared. They're scared that financially they're just not going to have enough money. And they're scared that their kids aren't going to have the same discretionary spending, Mm -hmm. you know, extracurricular and sea breeze and little vacations. And it takes time to figure out how you can make that work. There's a backdrop of those conversations that are called guidelines. You know, New York State has guidelines regarding how people share money between the two of them. I always call it sharing. Um, in fact, it's the labels are child support and or alimony. But in truth, it's really how people are going to exchange money. Um, if the house can be maintained is a very, very important conversation, Um, who can stay in the house, is it possible?
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that is the biggest thing that I hear from people that I know that have been divorced. There's so much confusion and fighting over who should get the house and sometimes in the midst of all the emotion and the anger, you just move out, fine, keep the house, but is that a big mistake?
1: Well, it's it's not so much a mistake emotionally or parenting-wise because... Um And also, you still have the rights to the equity in the house. Moving out is usually impulsive, and sometimes it's actually better for everybody because, yeah. as I say, the air in the house can get very polluted, and that's not good for kids. Um, but there are ramifications uh, for just saying, I'm going to give the house to him or her. So, uh, first of all, you've got to get your name off the mortgage If your name is on the mortgage and most people are jointly titled and jointly mortgaged. So it's not a flip of the switch that just says, you know, now I own the house. People confuse the title to the house, which is like the title to a car Mm -hmm. from the loan on the house, which is the mortgage. And you need to get your name off the mortgage before you get your name off the title. So people are very confused. They just say, I'm going to sign the house over to my husband or wife, and your name is still on the mortgage. That's still on your credit report, and that will preclude you from getting uh, credit if that mortgage isn't paid or just because your debt ratio is so high, which is not to say that some people don't choose to keep their names on the mortgage and on the title, For three, four years, maybe the kids are just going to graduate from high school in a couple of years, and both parents decide that's the best thing to do. That works, but you need to be very aware of the implications and have good things in your agreement that safeguard when the house will be sold and making sure that the mortgage will be paid on time. What people mostly do is refinance the house take the other person's name off the mortgage and at that time work out the details of how the person's going to be paid for the house. Sometimes there's a lot of equity in a house and sometimes not so much. Mm. It depends upon how long you've been there. People are also confused. They think the value of the house is what they're sharing. Well, they're sharing the value minus the mortgage Mm. and that number is much smaller. It can be 10, 15, or much larger. But you're not talking about the value of the house. You're talking about the net equity on the house.
0: And sometimes it's so hard because there's so many emotions involved.
1: Oh, it is. And again, you need somebody to guide you through that, whether it's a mediator or an attorney. There are implications of that. Another thing you hear pretty frequently is, you know, I'll keep my retirement and she or he can keep the house. They think the retirement and the house are equal trade-offs, but they're not because retirement dollars are pre-tax. So if you have $100,000 in your retirement after taxes, you only have about $75,000. But if you have $100,000 of equity in a house, that's all not taxable money. So 50-50 would be... $50,000 each, but 50-50 on a $100,000 retirement account would not be $50,000 each. It would be closer to $35,000 each. So they're not apples and apples. Okay. And you need to explain that to people. You can make that trade-off. It's perfectly okay. You just have to make sure you allow for the tax differential before you just say, $50,000 of retirement is equal to $50,000 in a house. They're just not.
0: Um, I'm sure this comes up a lot, too. There are the couples who have their own account and then the joint account.
1: Well, you know, there's uh, the identification of what's marital money. Right. And marital money is anything that's come into the marriage since your marriage, with some exceptions. Well, you, you do... Based on paper trail or records, but by and large, if you think about a couple starting out in their early 20s um, and they have been married for 15 years, chances are most of what they've accumulated is what we call marital. Second marriages are more problematic because perhaps you're getting married again when you're 35 or 40. Then you need to be much clearer about what you brought into the marriage and what you did. You know what was accumulated during your marriage so there are paper records that could help that there's also if you're getting married for the second time it might be useful to consider a prenuptial agreement it's an interesting and important uh, concept um, especially if you have assets when you're bringing into your marriage but by and large if you've started your marriage in your early 20s most of this stuff is marital. And and there are exceptions, but we sort that out. We sort it out in mediation. And I want to emphasize, I am not an attorney and I'm not a financial planner and I'm not a therapist either. I'm a very, very well-informed divorce mediator, but my um, profession provides information. We don't give advice. So I'm never telling folks what to do. I'm explaining what the uh, implications of their thinking is.
0: And you've seen so many clients.
1: Oh, I have. Over 17 years, I've seen over 2,000 clients. um, So
0: you know, you have a good feel of, okay, if you do this, chances are this is going to happen.
1: Right. Just making sure they're well-informed about their options. Yeah. And one of the options that, you know, you make sure they're well-informed about is, you know, how much money they need to live on independently One of the uh, homeworks that people do in mediation is a budget. you got to figure out what both people need to live on so there are no surprises in the future. You don't want somebody nine months later to say, oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? I can't live on this. And that's important because um, budgets are the context for people to be feeling comfortable. Yeah that they either have a gap and they're going to have to cinch up or maybe there's a little margin and there's still a lot of sea breeze in their future or vacations in their future. But budgets are one of the cornerstones as well as collecting the asset and the debt information. So you collect all the data. Here's the value of the house. Here's the value of my retirements. Here's the value of the bank accounts, Um, maybe some mutual funds and then there's always that debt side. So here's the Visa and the MasterCard and the Discovery Discover card. You've got to come in and understand what the balances are to those assets and debts. And then the budget helps understand how much money you might share between the two of you.
0: Is it tough sometimes to differentiate between his debt and her
1: debt? Well, anything that is considered marital is marital. Okay. So uh Everybody likes the 401k to be a marital asset. Oh, that's terrific. But not everybody likes the (laughs) debt to be marital. Um, And that is also marital. But most things are not shared exactly 50-50. That's pretty much a myth. Really figuring out how to share assets and debts, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You put the pieces together. You figure out what are you doing with the house, the retirement. How does the debt figure into that? How do the car loan balances figure into Mm -hmm. that? So you take all of those pieces of data, I sort of consider them a jigsaw puzzle, Mm -hmm. and you figure out what picture is going to work best at the end. But rarely do things turn out precisely 50-50. It's just a bit of a myth. And in fact, New York State is an equitable state. It's not a required 50-50 state. People have a lot of discretion about what they want to do in mediation, But there's also a lot of discretion, even if they end up litigating. So um, it's uh, something that uh, people work out because they want um, to have a better future relationship. And nobody wants to feel taken advantage of.
0: To choose mediation over litigation, obviously, it's more cost effective, right?
1: Well, certainly, yes.
0: But how do you... How do you encourage your clients to put aside their emotions? Because that's sometimes why it goes to litigation, right? Because you're so spiteful that you just want to take him for all he has or take her for all she has. Well,
1: in in mediation, there's a continuum of clients. Everybody who comes into mediation is sad. There's no question about that. But there's cooperating sad all the way over to the other side of punishing sad. So the punishing folks... Sometimes escalate feeling that they're going to be more uh, taken care of or get a better outcome if they're working through an attorney who's really like a warrior helping, you know, promote that person's point of view, which can be bitter and can be punishing. But not all attorneys are warriors. I mean, there's very, very wonderful attorneys who actually provide support and help to clients mm-hmm. who may be up against something that is a little irrational or a little, um as I say, punishing where you're just not thinking straight. But I would say 85% of divorcing couples can certainly do mediation. Um, And some need to have the um, opportunity to speak to an attorney all along the way of mediation. And when you finally create the agreement, they're almost always reviewed by attorneys to make sure that they're fair and equitable to that person. So at that point, the attorney might be giving some uh, information to the client who's gone through mediation. I'll say that uh, the majority, majority of mediated agreements don't blow up when they go to attorneys because mediators, myself for sure, make sure the clients are well informed so there's no surprises. But um, it is cost effective. It's efficient. It's usually uh, completed in 3 or four months at the most. And clients are paying a mediator just one hourly rate together, generally in a shared way, as opposed to two attorneys paying hourly rates. But there's a place for attorneys in the divorce process, no question about it. And um, there's um, really terrific resources that I rely on for my clients to use.
0: What is the last piece of advice that you can give somebody listening right now? That's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what I'm about to embark on. How can I protect myself financially?
1: Well um, protection is about being well-informed and making sure that you really do have your homework done so that you're looking at data that makes sense. So again, you want to look at your assets and your debts. You want to do a good budget And then you want to bring common sense to this. Both mom and dad can create comfortable and wonderful environments for their children.
0: If you want to learn more, you can reach out to BJ, BJmediationservices.com, or pick up her book, A Better, Not Bitter Divorce, a fair and affordable way to end
1: your marriage.
0: BJ, thank you.
1: You're welcome. I was delighted to be here.
0: My hope is that today's podcast was a huge waste of time for you that you will never have to use the advice of a divorce mediator. But if you're going through it now, if you're living it, hopefully you were able to pull away some financial nuggets. All right, now we leave you with my dad. Growing up, he always had financial words of wisdom, and we're going to pass them along to you. It's Father Knows Best, My Dad's Two Cents. Have a great weekend. Dominate your finances. Never underestimate the power of small savings. If you pay attention to the small amounts you spend every day, it can make a big difference in the future. Over time, it adds up. But more importantly, it teaches you financial discipline by making you more aware of where your money is going.